Welcome to Way Beyond the Music, the podcast for the serious musician or music industry professional. Howdy, y'all. Hey, hey, Mark Sebi here. Join us as we dive in and learn lessons from life experience of real Texas musicians. If you're a Texas music lover or you just love the Texas music scene, then this podcast is for you. Come join us every Wednesday at 9 p.m. We go live on YouTube and Facebook, and you can always find the recorded version of the live show on your favorite podcast distribution source. Let your friends know all about Way Beyond the Music. That's every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll see you on the show. We've got that Christmas music and that Christmas spirit. Helps if you unmute your mic when you start these things, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and welcome to Way Beyond the Music, the show, the podcast, and live stream where we go way beyond just the music. And I have a very, very special guest that I'd like to bring to the forefront here. Hello, Hello everybody. Mr. Michael Marks is... Hey, Mar- did you unmute my microphone? Yes, I can hear you clearly. They oh, can thank hear you, you so clearly. much for that. Yeah, that, man, you know, that rookie rookie mistakes, dude. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress. We all make mistakes, and for those that say they don't, it's just not the case. You know, the key is how quick do you recognize your mistake and correct your mistake and hopefully prevent that same mistake from happening. But stuff happens, right? So, uh... It was only a, a little second there. That was okay. Hey, man, and you know what? It, 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 if I don't fail, I never learn. So there's Learning that. and being receptive to learning is, is one of the messages. But first, I do want to say to everybody, you know, have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Kiwanis. Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. And for the rest of you, enjoy Festivus. I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and that was a great episode as well. So whatever, which way you go, just have a great time with your family and friends, because that's what it's really about, you know, is taking a moment from your life and just drinking the wine of beautiful love that you have for folks and recognizing that we're here just a short time and we want to make the most of it, you know, along our path. Amen, brother. And, uh, you know, the, actually the name of this episode, and you picked it, yes. is Rags to Riches. So, That's it. Man, and I'm going to bring oh, something up here. People are like, like... Yeah, they got to look up right up there on the banner. Yeah. Yes, we, we, we've got... Uh, this is Mike's uh, new uh, alias, y'all. And, and, and you got you to gotta embrace this because there's, there's some good stuff coming from it. Well, the, how that came about, I wanted to like a prize fighter have some kind of nickname for tonight. So I figured Pike, because Pike's on my mind, because my buddy Mark Farner almost invited me to go pike fishing with him, but didn't quite do it. So if you're watching Mark Farner, I accept your invitation. But then I looked up the definitions of pike, and one of the definitions, literally, if you look it up on the web, used as a verb, it means make one's way. So it was no accident that I just coincidentally picked the word pike because I'll be talking about how I have made my way 
you know, through life and to get to where I started, which was in Brooklyn, New York, and where I am now here in Texas and been here for quite a while. So it'll be interesting and fun. And hopefully you all will enjoy it. There'll be some serious times. There'll be some advice. There'll be some funny stuff. So I'm ready to get it rolling here, Mark. Well, I was going to say, man, I mean, shoot, you, 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 it's like you were already, you got your intro down, dude. Did you like, did you script and rehearse this? Well, you don't have to script and rehearse your own life, you know, so Amen, uh, when I was interviewing Mark Farner, it was a little bit different, as you saw, but when it's your own life, you know, so. Hey, that was a really fun project, man, and I want to thank yes. you for involving me in that. That was an honor to do that, well, man. you did a great job experience. on short notice, folks, this guy here. That way, nope, that way, oh, whichever way, I got it backwards. That way, there it is, that guy there did a really great job. So if you ever need something, I do endorse uh, Mr. Mark Seddy. Well, I appreciate that, man. I'm glad I could I'm glad I could deliver. Um, there, You know, hindsight's 2020 and we're, we're own, we are our own worst critics. And, I, I, you know, looking back on it, there's some things that I feel like I could have done way better on. And then Me there's too. some things I'm really proud of, you know, but... Uh, you know, it, it, you got to you got always want to do better than the last gig, whatever the gig was. Amen, man. That's that's the name of the game. Well, let's get into this. I'm I'm and, curious. And a gig doesn't necessarily course. have to mean something musical. You know, no, this is a you gig. Know, you know, I was, as I said, born in Brooklyn, New York, so I can talk New York and drink my coffee, go down to 33rd Street. And I had an older brother. And it was just the two of us. So living in a very small one-bedroom apartment, my parents were in a pull-out couch in the living room. And I was allowed to be in a little corner of my brother's room. That's kind of the way it was. And I would be excited whenever he went clothes shopping with my mother, because whatever she bought him, I knew in another year or two, that's going to be my new outfit because little brothers, you know, of the economic situation we were in, we don't get anything new. We get the hand-me-downs. And I was grateful to get that. But what I was taught from a very early age from my parents, uh, which are part of what's called the greatest generation, the World War II generation, and I agree with that, us baby boomers, which I'm proud to be right in the middle, born 1954, baby boomers were from 1947, post-World War II, to 19, what, 60. Uh, what's 54, 61, excuse me. Yeah. So that's, I'm right in the middle. So we were taught at a very early age to be self-reliant, responsible, take responsibility for yourself. And that sometimes is a little bit difficult and sometimes some tough love is involved, but I'm so grateful, you know, that I did have strict parents and at age 10, I'm already working you know, putting newspapers together by the subway stations, or when it snowed, I was allowed to not go to school and go up and down the avenues and ask the stores if they want their entranceway shoveled, you know, and we would, uh, you know, get a couple of bucks for doing that. And it was important that I did make some of my own money, even, you know, 10 to 13 and a little bit older, I made more. Because if I wanted a new bike, I had to buy it. So, so I was self-reliant from the very beginning and very independent. And then about 14, all the sports that me and my friends were playing in the streets and Ed Pilser, 
Bruce Balabam, all you guys watching from New York there, my buddies that I grew up with, and I hope you all have a great holiday. But you all remember we did that. Then all of a sudden, things changed after the Beatles. And then our older brother started buying guitars. So when the older brother was gone, you know, I started playing the guitar and without him knowing till I broke a string one day. And man, did I take a shit fit. And I went everywhere looking for a string that matched. Couldn't find one. He found out. I got my ass kicked. But in any event, I went and finally saved up and bought from my cousin uh, a Gibson Hummingbird imitation for $50. So at age 14 is when I started playing music. And that's kind of what the whole neighborhood did. We converted from sports to music. It was quite a wonderful, wonderful thing to do, Mark, you know, to get into the spirit of what was becoming the hippies back then and a, a radical revolution in society and music in particular. The man, what a cool era to be a part of, too. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, man. I mean, there were so many things that that went down in that time span. And uh, it's funny you mentioned your brother was your inspiration. Mine was actually my oldest brother. And he was at 11 years old. He handed me my first guitar after I begged for two Christmas. Well, I didn't quite say he was my inspiration. That's kind of what got me attentive. But, well, you know, I would, I would have to say that you, you have to give him credit, man. If he never bought that guitar and was pursuing it, you probably wouldn't have had that opportunity, right? No, everybody's big brother was playing. So we all we all wanted to get our little bands together. Y'all are funny. So the first gig I did, I was like 15 years old and as at a local church or synagogue, I forgot. And we were doing grand funk songs because they were so cool, so great, and so easy. So this guy's playing bass on guitar because I didn't have a bass. So I just changed my tone and used the, the bottom string. And, and I'm playing inside, looking out, and other things. And it was like, I really dig doing this. And I really want to do this forever. But I knew, based on what so many people in our neighborhood were attempting to make it, you know, with Mark Bell probably being the, the the most known guy that was the bass player for the song Louie, 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 you know, that band. So I realized it's not that easy to be a musician and to make a living. So I recognize I need to get a good education and I need to pursue something else, you know, for my career as far as making money to survive because Music is not going to do it for me at, at what I want out of my life with eventually a family and some of the better things in life and the ability to make choices. So that was a very big decision I made as a teenager. And the second great decision is when I was 18 and just two days past my legal birthday, I moved out of my parents' little apartment and moved into a total dump in the Lower East Side, uh, the East Village of New York City or Manhattan, Brooklyn's New York City also. But the key was as one block away from the Fillmore East, which was on 2nd Avenue and 1st Street, and I was on 1st Avenue and 6th Street. 1st Avenue and 6th Street, the Fillmore was 2nd Avenue and 6th Street. So every weekend, we're paying the three, four bucks to see three bands, you know, in a great little light show in between each band. So I got to really get into the, you know, Mountain, Jimi Hendrix, you know, Grand Funk. Now that's, that's something else. Uh, New York City was 
insane over Grand Funk. So we slept out in Madison Square Garden for three days to get tickets to see their first appearance there. And that was a great time. We slept out in the parking lot of Shea Stadium to get tickets to see that show. So both phenomenal shows. And there's just so much to look forward to, you know, to play with my friends and, and occasionally do a gig. But still, going to school and doing well in school, knowing I need to do something else while I'm playing as a hobby. And I know some people might not do that. And I know a lot of full-time musicians and a lot of them say, we're happy, you know, being broke full-time musicians. And if that's for you, that's perfectly fine. But that wasn't the path, you know, that I chose to take, you know, so we each have to make our own decision. But then I made a big decision when I was 19 years old and I was married very young. And then there was a baby on the way, which happened six months after we were married. So don't, don't be thinking that's why I got married. So my son, uh, Dr. David Marks, was conceived in Brooklyn, but born in Dallas because I had an opportunity through my mother's employer to go give up the job I had in New York City working in New York Hospital for like 10 bucks an hour, which back in 1973, it was a lot of money. Uh, to go work in Garland, Texas, at a plant that manufactured stainless steel bathroom accessories like grab bars and towel dispensers and soap dispensers, things like that. It's like, well, it's a job. I want to move out of here and have my child have a different lifestyle than I had growing up in Brooklyn. I didn't want it for him. So me and, and a young pregnant wife and a cat, 300 bucks, got on a plane and went to Garland, Texas which is a suburb of Dallas in 1974. And on March 10th, 1974, I show up and the foreman gives me a broom, says, there you go, start sweeping the warehouse. So that's what I did. But the key is I went early to work. I stayed late. I didn't complain. I kept my mouth shut and I did my job as best as I could. And the few people that were willing to teach this Yankee something, I was all ears, you know, which I'm finding in today's generation is not such a willingness to listen to people that have the experience, you know, uh, it's just something that I'm observing as a baby boomer, that it's a whole different type of a lifestyle. You're right. So, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you, you hit on a couple things that are that are really interesting. The choice that you made as a teenager, first of all, was a very, very mature um, adult-like decision that yes. you made to make sure that, you know, a lot of musicians that get into this don't realize how important and how expensive this really is if you want to yes. do it right. And you, you, you got to have some some funding and some financing behind you in order for you to be able to do what you need to do. And if you don't have it, you're going to be struggling. And, and I personally did that myself. You know, you're going to be struggling to find the sponsor or find the endorser. And, you know, now it's Kickstarter and, and GoFundMe and all this stuff. But back in the day, especially back, you know, go back to, to like you and Farner, man, back in the day type of Man, there was nothing like that. I mean, people yeah. are learning off of YouTube how to play guitar now. Man, right. I had to buy this chord chart, and I don't even read music, man. I never had formal training. Well, I learned by ear and by sight. I've always said, uh, 
if I had a time machine, I could take one thing back, I would take a clip-on tuner. Because, you know, when we jammed, it took a half hour to get in tune, and we were never in tune. It was just whoever hit the E first, that's what we did. So that's just the way it was. So much time was wasted trying to tune, but we had a good time anyway. But uh, the decision I made was one of those key intersections that we all come to in our life. And you have to pause when you get to an intersection, recognize it first and realize which way I go, which can be one of two or one of three, you know, it could be more, is a very big deal. It's going to change my entire timeline of my life. And I am very grateful that my parents, you know, were hard on me. And I grew up very quickly in the streets of Brooklyn. And I grew up, you know, not having my own pair of pants ever in my life, having to buy my own bike. So it's like, you know, that instilled in me a sense of I want to do my own thing. And I want my child to not live in the streets of Brooklyn. So that was a big thing. So I took the $3 an hour job and just put my head down and didn't get involved with, you know, the politics of the factory. And, and just over a period of nine years, I worked my way up because I just worked harder and I took more serious than the other folks. And I will say, Mark, back then, it was a whole lot more competition because a lot more people back then, meaning baby boomer generation when we were in our 20s, a lot more of us wanted to strive, wanted to succeed, you know, to take responsibility, wanted the authority, you know. So I turn that around now when I've told my sons is it's less competition these days because so many of your generations, X, Y, Z, millennium, whatever they are, don't have the same you know, qualities of what the baby boomers did. So if you do take it serious, work hard, keep your head down, keep your nose out of other people's business, even if you feel it's an injustice, just worry about yourself and your own paycheck and come in early, leave late, study as much as you can, whatever it is. I never graduated college. I had one, one year in college then, you know, my life changed when I got married and moved to Texas. So uh, never happened. So I'm, I'm a high school graduate. That's it. And uh, but I did pretty well in high school because I took it serious. So the same thing went with the job. Take it serious. Even though I'm just sweeping the floor, nine years later, I'm the general manager of this company and we're doing really well. And then that was in 1982. So 1983, I started my own because that's pretty logical when you work to a company to the highest level, many entrepreneurs, that's, that's the goal. So for the last couple of years of my uh, career at Desert Ray Products in Garland, which and I say thank you to them, uh, I was thinking about doing my own thing. So in 1983, I started my own company called GAMCO, which stands for General Accessory Manufacturing Company doing the very same thing, making grab bars, towel dispensers, soap dispensers, you know, the stainless steel bathroom accessories and worked very hard. And my staff saw that I worked with them, not above them. I'm not in a suit. I'm in a shop uniform with them. 
doing any of the jobs that they can do and doing it better and striving and working harder than anybody. So naturally there was respect that was gained. Like Mike's one of us. He's not some dude from Harvard with a suit that's telling us what to do and doesn't know dilly squat about our job. Mike's lived our job for nine years and now he's doing his own thing. So uh, Gamco grew and then it became a point where we wanted to build our own factory. So at that time in Texas, uh, the workman's comp was full of fraud and corruption. So since it couldn't be fixed with several attempts, you know, I picked a town, the nearest to Dallas in Oklahoma to get to a much less workman's comp rate. And our company had, you know, no accidents. So it wasn't a rate that we caused, it was forced upon us. And that made, you know, big news in Texas and started a movement that eventually led to reform. But I will say during the whole time at Desiree Products, as I was working for them for nine years, and then at Gamco, music was always there, always was in a band, always had gigs on some weekends, maybe two or three a month. That's kind of what got me through, you know, doing my job, which I love with the passion. You know, and that's really important part part here is is the the three P's. Have you ever heard of the three P's, Mark? You're gonna have to educate me on the three P's. You know, so I can what, give some guesses, but this isn't that part. No, that's the fourth P. No, the three okay. P's okay. is number one, whatever you do, you must have passion for it. And it could be anything, playing music, bending grab bar pipes you know, putting newspapers together, you know, whatever it is, have passion for it. And if you don't try to find something else that you do, that you have the passion, that's your fuel. Then pride to take pride in what you do, which again, I don't see too much of it these days where I would do something and I didn't even get paid on a job, but the result was so beautiful. It's like, wow, I helped do that. That's really great. And I slept great that night because of the pride. And then life always throws challenges out to everybody. You're not alone. Whoever you are, we all have problems. We all have big problems. So the perseverance, the third P, is what gets you to truck through. Or as, as Pike says, pike along and keep it going and realize this is just a bump in the road of your life. So have the passion, the pride, and the perseverance for whatever you do. And, you know, that is a big formula for success. The fourth P, which we don't talk about, it's exactly what you were thinking. That's something you want to be careful about. So choose your partner well. Choose, choose the fourth P wisely, y'all. Whichever way, if, whichever way it is, you know, whatever your fancy is, just, you know, choose your significant other very well. And, and I'm very blessed that I have, you know, with my wife, Mildred. She's beautiful and supports me in every way through all the crazy stuff that I do. So here I am at Gamco. Yeah, we've got, we got, there is some, you did some awesome, um, awesome stuff too, man. You know, um, you know, and I know you're going to get to that part of it, you know, with the yes. music thing, but you've you've done some since i've known you and it, it wasn't all of this that you're telling is you know stuff that i get to hear for the first time some of it too which is awesome and getting to know where where you really came from and that's why i do way beyond the music because 
how often do you get to hear a story like that? Usually it's about whatever singles out. It's about what, what next show and, oh, this band member quit. So who are you going to get now? Yeah. Man, yeah. Man, well, that's well, always going to happen. Band members quit. Out, I like, I like a history lesson. And I also like a, a, you know, I guess to be able to open up a little bit and just be themselves, man. And, and be able to be genuine about who they are with, with the fans and the listeners. Well, this is my ride, and if it can help anybody, you know, to do a similar thing, to go from rags to riches, but let me qualify that. Riches could be many different things, of which the most important is happiness, and also love and love for God. Those, those are the richest things that anyone can have, because stuff, you know, I know if you don't have it, you want stuff, but when you have it, you know, whether it's ice cream, you have too much of it, it doesn't do you any good. But to finish the story with Gamco, so we build a new factory. And, of course, I build a rehearsal studio upstairs because still I have a band. And we were playing quite a bit up there on the weekends. And it was also very good for my employees. At this point, I had 250 employees working their asses off with me together as a team. But when something went wrong and I got upset, I would go upstairs, grab my Les Paul, my Marshall, and blast my head off. And then I go through the, sh- sh- the factory and they were so many smiles like, man, we're so glad Mike blew his head off upstairs with his guitar instead of coming down and being pissed off at, down in the factory. So that was always there. Music was always what kept me going and, and writing music ever since I was 15 years old. And but one day wanting to do an album. And that brings us to. 1996 where I was diagnosed with serious heart disease and for one year I did everything the doctors at the Cooper Clinic told me to do which is a world famous uh, institution up there in Dallas and I thank them for saving me but you know the diet the exercise the prescription drugs and the fourth thing was stress that's what I couldn't beat I couldn't turn myself into someone I wasn't you know a frontline general that's in the rut with my sword the first one out to attack the enemy not sitting in my eiffel tower or my ivory tower with a suit being snooty the people i was always the first one out so i could not get past that so the disease progressed and the doctor said at this rate i'm 43 years old you know you're going to have a heart attack and you won't survive 43 year olds don't survive So at this point, know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking I haven't ever made a record. So I call my buddy Oliver Mowat, M-O-W-A-T, and say, Oliver, I know we haven't spoken for 20 years, but we used to write songs. I think I'm dying. Would you come work on an album with me? So he did. And that's where MoMAR comes from, Oliver Mowat and Michael Marks. So it's an acronym for Mowat and Marks. And the company is actually Moet and Marks Entertainment Company. So I'm not related to Moammar Gaddafi. So it was a strange name, but that's what it was. And we did. I'm going to reach down here. Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't even know that, you know, prior to the show. I didn't know the story behind it. See, the first album, Bears on Name, yeah. Moet and Marks. Moet and Marks, Long Road Home. And nice. I will tell you a story about that. I wanted it to be the best because I thought this is my last shot. So I did everything I could as far as production, recording at great studios, hiring great 
musicians. We had real brass, you know. And then I flew to California to a, a Grammy Award winning uh, engineer to do the mastering. So I'm out there and he's with his fancy EQs and stuff dancing around and then and it's all done and I go into the lobby and there's a bulletin board of who's up uh, the next day. And it's Ray Charles. And I said, oh my goodness, I go to the guy, Fox was his name. I said, too bad he wasn't here today because the, the title song, Long Road Home, is a really great song that'd be very appropriate, you know, for Ray Charles if he heard it. And, and through my peripheral vision, I'm seeing this tall, slender young dude with long hair in the lobby there. And he says, sir? I said, yes, sir. He says, my name is Terry Reeves. I'm the producer for Ray Charles. And I'll listen to that song right now. So I nearly shit my pants, but we went into uh, one of the rooms and he played it. And he said, you know, you're right. This is very appropriate for Ray Charles. Uh, but you have to change the words because there's references to alcohol in your song and you can't do that with Ray Charles. And you and Oliver singing, it's not the right touch for Ray Charles and you need the Ray Letts in there. So I went back to Texas, we went into the studio, we remixed it, we didn't re-record anything except the vocals. We brought the guitars down, the pianos up, I got a prominent blues singer in Dallas to do the lead vocals, and then this uh, beautiful lady called Queen to overdub herself to be the Ray Letts. And we submitted this, you know, demo version to Ray, and he loved it. And it was like, this could be our encore song. It's such a peppy song with a big ending, a lot of horns and a lot of orchestration. And it never went anywhere because he passed away. But it was really a thrill to work with them. So I guess the point there is fellow musicians, you never know who's out there, even if it's three people watching. You never know one of them can be a record company executive or producer or even an owner for a venue that will give you a nice gig. So uh, yeah, always it could perform. Be bigger, it could be bigger than that too. And, and you know, that's it's good you bring that up. I think a lot of us spend a lot of time worried about how many followers do I have? How many, yeah. how many, how many people are watching? It doesn't matter. Y'all timing is everything. Don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of things you can do to position yourself better and grow numbers and do all that and, and build viewers and do that. But the number one thing is to be consistent. I mean, that is the it's number different world one now than back in 1997 when this was released, you know? Oh yeah. And, and we actually have a copy of that song, don't we? Yes, we do. This is the revised demo where we redid it with different words, different singers, but still the original recording just with a different mix where my guitar is reduced and Oliver's piano is increased. Okay. And, and I would like to make a point about that because I know you are a guitar guy. I know it. Yes, yes. And you like to be loud on it and yes. you like to play and you like Blast to do it. Yeah, man. You want to show off because you're, you're right. talented, right? That's right. Um, I, well, I love I, Mark Farner so much. Well, yeah, rightfully so. Dude's a, dude's a badass on on, yeah, on the dick yes, fiddle, he man. He is. He's he's a badass all the way around, man. He's even what is he seventy four and he's still kicking it yes, like a badass. Is. Yes, he is. Always. And I like to see that. And like I said, it was an honor to work with him. But what I like about what you said and what you did, actually, your actions, not your words. 
Right. Your actions were, and a lot of musicians need to listen to this. Right. You cannot be too attached to your art and right. to your creation. Because look what look what Mike had to do. Mike the Pike had to go back in the studio and re-record this to make it something. You that, hardly even heard the guitar at all, and that's fine. Because yeah. that's not Ray Charles's sound. That yeah, exactly. So let's play the song real quick. How about let's, that? Let's do it. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna call yeah. Long Road Home. Nice. Oh, the crowd the crowd didn't go mild on that one man what a jam dude that's well, a, 
I, I, I'm a I'm a very very big fan of horns, man. So I, those are real people. There were three horns from Dallas, and they overdubbed. So the second time around, they played like the sax played a tenor, and he played an alto. You know, same thing with the with the trumpet and the bone. They they played a different uh, version of their instrument. So it's a six piece chartered horn version. So he loved that. He loved Oliver's performance on the piano. And then Queen on the, the vocals for the Ray Letts, I tell you. Uh, in fact, Bobby, who was the uh, blues singer in Dallas that I hired to, to do the, the lead, I made him wear sunglasses, true story, and I made him do this with his head to really get into the part. And uh, so it didn't work out with Ray, but Long Road Home did have probably the most significant event in my life besides you know my personal stuff like my marrying my beautiful wife mildred and having uh, my sons all three of them but as far as my career wise this was the most important event because in addition to sending you know it out to record companies and a and r all around the country i sent copies of the record to friends family and also customers including some of my really large customers that I made product for, stamped their name on it, and then they resold it. And one of the companies was called Franklin Brass Manufacturing Company, that they have a lot of stuff in Home Depot and all that, but Gamco actually made it for them. So one day I get a call from the president, Howard Levy of Franklin Brass. This is in July of 97, shortly there after sending uh, the record out. And he says, Mike, I got your record. I said, well, cool, the Howard. He says, it's really good. It's really professional. And then he says, does this mean you're quitting? And nobody, nobody knew except for just a few people inside of Gamco that I was training my VP to take over my position because I knew I could no longer continue as president and CEO actively every day in the front lines because I literally would die of the stress. I was told that, I made my album, I did everything I could, but there was no way I was able to reduce the stress. I tried everything, but I am who I am. Right, John Pirazzola? I am what I am, as he says. So then out of nowhere, he says, well, are you interested in selling Gamco to us? Because we just got acquired by Masco, which is a multi-billion dollar Fortune 200 company that owns Bear Paint. Delta Faucet, uh, Baldwin Brass, you know, half the companies in Home Depot, if you look on the bottom in fine letters, will say a Masco company or MAS on the, on the stock market. And I said, Howard, I really hadn't thought of doing that. I thought of just, you know, resigning as president, but still continuing as owner and, and having dividends to live off of. So after deliberation and much thought, I said, okay, let's do it. And my partners at the time said, well, if you're really not going to be here, we really don't want to be part of it. So nine months later of due diligence, which means all the paperwork and checking that we had to do, especially being a public company, you know, in May of 1998, Gamco was sold to Masco. And as big corporations do, they totally did everything opposite of what I advised them to do. And within eight short years, they ended up giving it up and resold it to what was my number one competitor at the time, Bobrick. 
and that's who owns them now. So if you go to GamcoUSA.com, you'll see his bopper. But the point is, and I, I kid with Mark Farner, I said, you sold 30 million records, but I made one record, at least at that point, that didn't go anywhere, but I sold my company for $30 million. So we both have that same number. And he said, Mike, in our next life, can I switch with you? I'd rather have the money and you can have the fame and be broke, you know, or whatever. You yeah, know, man, just- a lot of people don't. And I was fixing to interject and I was like, man, maybe I should wait till the end after he tells the whole story. But it, it, thus far, your story is an inspiration because of one thing, at least to me. This is just me, my opinion. You hit on something that a lot of musicians don't take into consideration and a lot of artists don't take into consideration when they're pursuing a music career. Your definition of success, your level of success is not the same as somebody else. Right. For some people, it's I got to be that guy that's on that big stage and selling out, you know, stadiums. For other people, it's man, I want to I just want to record this stuff and and put it out there and and, right. and share it. And yet for other people, it's some some guys want to go out on the weekends and drink alcohol and get messed up and chase women. You know, it's different for everybody. And it, it, it's inspirational to know that you, man, you went from these humble beginnings and, and, and being poor and having to do everything yourself and then running this multimillion dollar and selling it for 30 million and, and man, paying the taxes. Yeah, right. At Roll that on. time, the rate was 39.6, and we paid every penny, gladly. And the state of Oklahoma has an income tax. People don't realize they're lucky in Texas, no state income tax, and that's 6%. So almost 46% went to the government, which I do not <laughs> mind. I mind how they spend it. I don't mind giving it. I mind what the hell they do with it, how they waste it, how they don't run it efficiently and give it away to other countries when Americans are under the bridge starving and cold, but yet we're sending money to this country to buy condoms or that country to do whatever right, secret right. crap we're doing. A humanitarian so. global cause and however we feel like, which we've done over the entire existence of us um, in history is we have, we've interjected ourselves into everyone else's business instead of minding our own and taking care of our own. That's right. So, to segue back to music, so here I am, 43 years old and retired. So I moved to Florida, and then I start a little band and start playing gigs, and we're getting successful. Then I start managing other bands because they say, how do you get so many gigs? So I start managing, and I say, if, if you're going to be one of my bands, you can be the best paid in the county. But there will be no drinking. There will be no cursing. There will be no drugs. There will be rehearsals. And you'll have the best and highest pay show, paying shows. You can't go to Disney and other major venues like that. So, and I was very, very strict about that. Also, your, your attire. And this is something that I used to talk about all the time at Momar Music, is run your business legitimately. It's not a side business under the table. Eventually, that will creep up on you. Pay your taxes. Report your income. And then as far as your presentation don't get drunk and stumble around it's not a party you're there to entertain the people who are there to party you're the hired help and we had a band here a few years ago that was called hired help and there's nothing wrong about that 
to get paid to play music versus something else. It's, it's a dream. It's just unfortunate that for some reason, so many venues don't appreciate the people that should be getting paid the most, which is the musicians and the DJs that bring in the folks, keep the folks, entertain the folks, and have them refer other people to go to that venue. And I just don't get that mentality, whether it's Florida, Texas, wherever. It seems to be a national epidemic that musicians are pissed on and shit on and not appreciated and not paid what they're worth. So well, when I moved back to Texas, that's where the idea for Momar Music came from. I started in my garage and it's like, this was given to me with the help of God because I couldn't do this alone and I couldn't be that good all those years at Camco. And everything that happened, it couldn't have happened by itself without supernatural intervention. So shortly after being saved in Florida, then I realized the vision came to me. This was given to me so I can do something good with it that mattered. And that didn't mean buying an expensive yacht or Mercedes or whatever. I don't give a crap about that kind of stuff. You know, it's actually really bullshit when you get down to it, you know, where things that matter, matter. We don't want the bullshit. It's just like when people tell you all kinds of bullshit. I used to go like that all the time. And it's like, you're just talking to hear yourself talk, but you're full of bullshit, bullshit. All you do is talk, talk, talk. That's all you want to do, but you're full of bullshit. So meet Mr. Bullshit, our special guest. Yeah. Dude, uh, you said there was going to be a special guest. Yes. I'm loving it, dude. I'm the bullshit puppet. So when you know people are talking bullshit, just hold up your hand and say bullshit. Where can Stop we get, the bullshit. You, you need to put those puppets on your on your web store, man. You well, need it's to get on me. YouTube. It's on YouTube. Well, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. I used to keep this at Momar under the desk, and when someone came in with really a lot of bullshit, I'd say bullshit, bullshit. So I started Momar in the garage as a philanthropist and a philanthropist for those that don't know it's people who desire to do things good for the community and doesn't necessarily mean just money because I consider my time that I devoted over my 16 years at Momar Music more valuable than the over 1.2 million dollars that I actually personally paid to keep that place going the way it did it was also a big part of it was to mentor people and to teach people and try to advise people, especially ones that came for advice. Like, you know, if you're running off the books, that's not a good thing to do. Report your income. You know, if you're drinking, that's not a good thing to do. So if people were open to hear this stuff, I would tell them as much or as little of my story as they wanted to hear. But my passion has been for the last now 17 years since it's been a year since I, I gave up Momar that nobody seemingly gives a crap about the musicians and DJs so it was my mission to do a little thing whether it was in Florida I made a record called No Excuses to generate some income and publicity that mattered real publicity not bullshit exposure at a free gig you got to do and Momar has always been there to help the musicians that I know are struggling. So if they can get that microphone or get that speaker or that guitar for less than anywhere else, I know that actually matters. And, and I pledged 10 years 
and I gave 16 years. And I age 68 with this ailing body and too much, you know what I'm going to do now, too much of the bullshit because it just seems people are just getting angrier and angrier for some reason. I don't get it, man. There was some, there was some, uh, I, you know, I, I, I followed and studied you and you, you helped me out tremendously too. And in my tenure with, the uh, Rebecca Creek distillery, you, you know, your store was instrumental in me getting those people to spend money on equipment that we needed, man, to be able to pull off the live music part of it correctly and to build that. Yeah, and uh, that was a that was a really fun chapter in my life, and and watching what had transpired with the store, and I know a lot of the reason and behind why you you got out of it. Yes, yes. Um, and and man, all I can tell you just from one musician to another, and someone that loves music, I would think as much as you do. I wouldn't say more, but I would say at least as much on an equal level. Man, you did a wonderful, wonderful job, and you well, touched a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that really miss your mission and your wow. your purpose. And and man, there probably will not be, at least in our lifetimes, I, I don't think there'll be anything that was quite like Momar. So thank you for that, and God bless well, you. Well, my pleasure. And and you know, for the good folks, which there were many, many, whether they were struggling musicians or new musicians or selling that kid his first guitar and spending an hour giving him a lesson. You know, uh, I could give you so many anecdotes and stories of the good. So I don't want it to leave the impression that it was all bad. It wasn't because the good kept me there six years longer than what I had committed to. Because this was a volunteer job for me. Plus, I paid many of the bills personally because there's no way the store made enough income to pay for the product and the overhead and people forget that you know stores have overhead like the rent salaries you know electric bill insurance etc you know but but every once in a while after having two three mooches that give me more give me more give me more you know then i'd have someone come in and say you know you know and say something really nice it's like re-motivated me but it just became too much plus i had you know troubles with my back and hard finding you know good people, you know, to, as the store expanded and the next level would have required many more employees because I was offered some national stuff by some of my key factories around the world. And they were very disappointed that I left because they had offered all kinds of goodies that would have taken us to a, a national level. And I knew I just couldn't do it alone. I couldn't do it with a few good people that I had. And I just know it's so difficult to find people motivated to really work and want to grow with the company as I did with Desert Ray Products and with Gamco. And I hear that everywhere I go, people are closing their companies, they're reducing their shifts. Well, we can't help you carry out at Home Depot because we don't have anybody and the people we have don't want to do it. And we can't tell them otherwise because then they'll quit. So it's just the mentality that's taken over this country is really, really sad and I hope you know, even if one person is motivated to get up tomorrow and kick ass and take names and do the three P's that you remind much them of the three P's because I didn't make a, a, a graphic. So let's remind them again. Number one is pride. You must find not pride, passion. Excuse me. You must have a passion for what you do. Otherwise, nothing else will happen. And it could be anything. People. 
you know, I've, I had a passion when I was shoveling the snow, when I was putting the newspapers together. I, frankly, I had a passion for everything I've ever done in my life, no matter who I did it for, no matter what it was. And I had the pride of it, which is number two. And then I had the perseverance, number three, to get through the times that are going to stumble, your roadblocks, your challenges, which are always going to be there. But having the perseverance to put your head down and fight through it, it'll always be better on the other side. And as I stated earlier, your competition today is very little. Of course, there's very few people that have those qualities and that drive and that passion. So there's not as much competition around as in my generation, which has seemed like everybody was like that. So I had to be even better than them. Now it seems like 90% of the, of the population just don't give a shit you know, as far as work career goes. So. I think a lot of them just want their moment. That's it. And then once they get their moment, a lot of them fade out, man. I've noticed that at least about even my generation, the generations after mine, I've noticed that. Well, I will tell you a story that happened today. So as you know, I was having trouble with my computer. So uh, I looked up a local, local place that's right down the street from me. And I went there and he took me in right away. He must have been 20. He looked 15. And right in front of me, like I used to do in the Momar Music Repair section, he opened it up, explained to me what was inside, because I know nothing about computers, and then diagnosed it and told me what the problem was. And by the end of the day, it was corrected. And it was a very reasonable price. And it's like, wow, this guy reminds me of what I used to do. So I know that young man is going to succeed just by the one day interaction with him. There you go, man. He has all of it. That's a a huge thing, you know, and I I hate that I limit these to an hour because I know we're going to have to have you back for part two. Um, So we can dive into some other stuff too. And I'd love to get you on the Mark After Dark podcast. Oh yeah, then we can yeah. And have some fun in some other ways, too. And we can because, talk about all the little secrets we can't talk about on this podcast. Right. Yeah, not on this one, man. It's, it's just not that kind of but a But we do want to wish everybody, again, a very happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, yes, which Merry is going Christmas. on down there. And are you queued up to pay my little Christmas song? Or I am. I thought that would be a great way for us to kind of bow out gracefully. And, of course, uh, real quick before we do that, where can people find more about you and how can they support you and help you? Well, on my personal Facebook, you know, Michael Marks, you know, I don't have the Momar music one anymore. It's now Hermes music. So you can uh, get with me on Facebook would be the best way just under Michael Marks. And you'll see my cute little face there and just click on it and private message me or post things to me. I do read every one of them. And uh, I don't miss getting a three o'clock in the morning one anymore. Hey, my speaker broke. It's three o'clock in the morning. Can you come fix it? You know, I don't miss those. No, no, but, I'm uh, not coming to fix it, dude. But, so. but uh, yeah, you could connect with me on Facebook. That's the best way to do it. I'm still well, alive and kicking. Um, any links you want to send over to me after we get out of here, send them over. So, And what I'm going to do for all you folks listening, I'm going to put some of the information as I go back over this after we're done with the live stream and I will add information into the description. So come back and check out the channel in the description. And while you're here right now, there's a little button down on the right hand. Yeah, that, that hand corner. 
It's a little yeah. bell. If you just click that, you can subscribe to the channel right now. Please and, do. It's great. Yeah. And also make sure to check the description so you can see how you can subscribe to Mike's YouTube channel. And the Ask Mark Farner question is up on that channel as well. Is that right? Yes. So if you want to see that cool live stream, I got to be a part of doing the live stream. And Michael was the host of the show. And then, of course, uh, Mark Farner from uh, Grand Funk Railroad, the original Grand Funk Railroad, um, was the star guest, you know, and yes. it, it was awesome, man. It was a really cool deal. And the story you shared with us today was awesome. Real quick before we play that Christmas tune and get out of here, any special message that you would like to give to the audience today, um, uh, a Christmas, New Year's message before we play the song? Well, as I said earlier, you know, stuff, it's easy for me to say because I can have any stuff I want, right? Uh, I choose to think of it more that the money I work so hard for, which you can do too, follow my recipe, you'll succeed to different degrees. I just got very lucky, I think, also. Uh, it's the choices. That's what's most important, is the more income we have, the more choices we can make, you know, as far as in life. And it doesn't necessarily mean getting stuff. I feel at 68, I'm still that same kid from Brooklyn. I didn't give a crap about stuff then. I don't give a crap about stuff now. You know, I'll do whatever I can to help whomever I can. And in closing, I do and I have given and I still do give advice to people who have open ears. So many people don't. But if you are interested in getting any kind of business advice or industry advice, just private message me and my answer will most likely be yes. And we can arrange a time and there is no charge for this. So I just love and it's my duty and responsibility to pass along what I have learned in my life and not just have it die with me. And that's the way I do it, just as others have done for me. So it's something I'm happy to do for those that have any questions or just want to have a rap session. Man, that's awesome. And thank you for your generosity and uh, being the person that you are, the person of God that you are. Yes, and uh, a very Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yes, we're going to have a great one. And a happy, prosperous New Year to you, too. Hopefully, we will Thank be you. doing some cool stuff together. On well, I look forward to it. Yeah. And uh, real quick, man, before we get out of here, let's play this Christmas song. Yes, yeah. sir. Texas Two-Step. Yeah, man. It's a rocking tune, dude. I like it. Yeah, it was written by uh, myself and Oliver Mowat, and uh, we hired some studio musicians in Nashville to actually perform it. Well, I'm, cool. I'm not a country guitar player by any well, means. Hey, man, at least you know where you're at. That's but right. And there you go. Here it is, guys. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Christmas time is here again for you. Rushing around cause there's so much to do First you go shopping Then you go rocking Then you go knocking on the door Of your friends, friends, of your friends Christmas is much more than just one day 
If you feel it, you will know the way Anyone can see what Christmas does to me Each year we try to be a little nicer A little bright How about you? It's Christmas time again Well, well, Merry, Merry Christmas to yes. you, Mike the Pike. Mike the Pike. That's it, man. We got to, we, we, we had some talk before the show about a little, uh, a little idea for that little thing there. What the Pike? Well, yeah. The Pike thing. I like, I like, I like that idea, man. I think that would work for you, dude. Well, I looked up the definition of it, you know, and yeah. it kind of makes sense for me, you know. It, it, it actually does, man. I want to thank you for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thank yeah, thank you for everything, and yeah. Merry Christmas to you and your wife and your family. Thank I hope you, you have so a much beautiful and holiday. You, and to all of our uh, w- uh, viewers and listeners yep. now and on recorded ones, and if this is being watched after Christmas, then... I still wish you well. Doesn't you don't have to be Christmas? Every day can be Christmas. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's a, all it's a, in your mind. So all you need, if you're in a bad place, is what's called a paradigm shift. That simply it. means change your mind, and the world will change. And you've done nothing but change your mind—a mental thing you do to yourself. So well, we God bless have, you all. Yeah. We're definitely going to be having you back on, so uh, it won't be too long before we will see Mike the Pike. Mike the Pike. All right, y'all. We are going to get out of here. Thank y'all for tuning in. Thank you for your time. Don't forget to share, 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 subscribe, and check the description after the live stream. I will be making some updates. It'll take me an hour or two, so give me a minute. But be sure to come back and check so you can follow Mike the yes, Pike. Mike the Pike. All hey, right, man. We are out. You all of here. take care.
As they say in show business, that's a wrap, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Way Beyond the Music podcast. Hey, be sure to like and subscribe. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook. Go over to Patreon and become a subscriber there for extra content, behind-the-scenes, awesome stuff. You got to go check it out. And don't forget to visit our special web store and get exclusive Way Beyond the Music merchandise. If you'd like to be considered for the show, drop us an email. It goes to mark at sebimusicgroup.com. That's mark, M-A-R-K, at sebi, S-E-B-B-Y, music, M-U-S-I-C, group, G-R-O-U-P, dot com. You can be an artist, industry professional. Shoot me an email. Let's see if we can get you on the show. We'll catch you all next time. Thanks for the support.